Well, I'm excited to bring you the second half of uh, Living Transformed 5. This is a series that we've been all through Jumpstart. We started it really the last month of, uh, last week of December. But this, this P word is potential. Um, so powerful. So I set it up by talking about David's experience, uh, David and Goliath and all of that. I, we talked about him preparing for battle, um, choosing his ammunition carefully. So I want to tag team with that today. So my question to you, I guess, would be, don't you want to really walk and live a miraculous God life? If you say yes, and I believe that most of you do, um, what you're saying is, as Pastor Joel prayed, that I want to live in that living transform zone. I want to be in that. Is that an exciting way to live? Today, no matter what age I am, no matter where I've been, I am living transformed. I was having a text exchange with somebody I love dearly yesterday, and they were telling me about where they serve, and, and, uh, and they were giving me wonderful stats about it all, and, and I texted them back. I said, after that, I told them how I loved them, how proud I was of them, and then I said, well done. And then I paused and thought, no, I shouldn't say well done, because that sounds like it's in the past. I need to say well doing. Well doing. That's what, that's what Living Transform is all about. Isn't that good? It's here and now. It's not about what was. I mean, what was got you to where you are, but well doing. I want, I want to hear the master's words, don't you? At the end, we'll say well done, but in the meantime, well doing. Well doing, because you live today, palms up. So I'm here to remind you that God wants you to get ahead. He wants you to keep moving ahead through all seasons and circumstances. Even if we have four seasons in one week like we're fixing to do this week in Worcester, Ohio. <laughs> I wore my sweater. You know what that means. Think snow. <laughs> Think snow. It's a coming. But in all the seasons and circumstances of life, we don't go circumstantial. We don't live there. We have a deep, settled sense, living transformed, that God is up to something good. He is here. How many of you know that God's tense is here? Present tense active here. And he's teaching me. He's preparing me even in this difficult season. And sometimes we would say, especially in this difficult season. You can't always see it at the time when you get beyond it. It's magnified. Have you ever found this to be true? That a setback that you think is a step back can turn out to be down the road a setup for something good but I like to say something God. Are you experiencing something God in your life? Are you looking for it? Are you looking for him in the small things? The Bible says clearly that nothing, could somebody just say nothing, can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? His love keeps coming at you. And he wants you to get ahead, to move ahead, by returning to and staying with, as it says in Revelation, your first love. We can sing songs about that today. I'll make room for you, more of you, all of that. And I just jotted down this week, and I, I'm sure I've said it before, but here's the issue. We want more of God, more of God, more of God. Well, here's the deal. He wants more of you. When you give him more of you, there's more God space in your heart and life. That's what he's looking for. That's what we talk about, palms up. 
He wants you to believe with all of your might, inside out from your toes up, that with God, all things are still possible. God's not a good luck charm. He's not an afterthought. He is in the midst, in the present tense of anything, any place we find ourselves. So let's get out of the this is all there is and this is as good as we'll ever get mode. I don't think God wants you to live there. You'll be happy to know that somebody out of the sheer kindness of their heart replaced Eeyore. I have a new Eeyore on the top shelf that Charlie Brown can no longer get to. But he looks at with longing eyes. <laughs> Some of you are living there. I hear things like this, it's a kind of phrase. Because of an event, because of a circumstance, my life is ruined. Oh, I have problem proof texting that in God's word. I'm not discounting the hurt, the pain, all the agony you've been through, but I'm telling you, there's life ahead of whatever happened there, and God says, I, wanna, I have better things for you, and I'll use those storm stories and those testimonies to do something you could never, ever believe I could do because all things are still possible with me. Don't say, don't think your life is ruined. If that's the case, you're being controlled by circumstances. By other people, no. As I said last week, God can put Humpty Dumpty better to get back together again when he, after he has had a great fall. And he puts him on the top shelf as a trophy of his grace and mercy. I'm getting to David. He wants you to realize, God does it each day, you're on a heavenly mission on earth. What's that look like? Have you heard this? Father, bring glory to your name. Can't wait to participate with you because you want to do something through me, through me today. You exist. We exist to bring glory to his name. He's there. He's working. He has plans for you. And nothing's left out of those plans. We, with that in mind and heart, we start making wise decisions now Believing God's word that if we make wise choices and decisions now, it will pay off later, and we're gonna see that in David's life. In fact, he was living proof of this truth, so I wanna pull out a much neglected story, something that I've never spoken on probably before. But when we get to this text, you'll see that he had a sword in his hand for his hand today because he took the sword from the dead giant years ago. Begin things today that will come back to you later. Have you ever heard of the boomerang? Have you ever experienced the boomerang effect? Galatians 6, 7 very clearly states, don't be misled. Get out of the negative mode. Quit listening to our culture. You cannot mock the justice of God. I mean, he knows, he sees it. You're spending all your energy thinking about revenge or whatever was done to you, and God said, you, I'm God, you're not. Would you just leave that to me? You can't carry that load, but I can. Will you just give it up? Because you'll always harvest what you plant. Has anybody found that to be true? I learned that lesson when I was planting gardens with my dad. When you planted corn, that's what came up, beans, etc. You know, I wanted to sabotage it and get rid of some of them because I couldn't stand picking beans. Is anybody with me? And the only thing worse than picking them was snapping them and de-stringing them or whatever. Can you relate out there? 
Mine was not a happy story. <laughs> do what you need to do now. This is going to speak to this. This isn't just about David. This is about us where we find ourselves now. Do what you need to do now, and it will lead to a timely, just right harvest at some point in time. What you choose to stand and fight through now will someday fight for you. David just didn't rush into battle. He chose his ammunition. Remember on his knees in the brook? I don't think he just grabbed the first rock he found. He chose, he carefully chose his ammunition on his knees. And I remind you that I said he was probably creating Psalm 23 when he's on his knees in the brook, I'll bet you. He was probably writing it on the spot, a right now moment. Because what you choose to fight through now will someday, I believe, fight for you, but you've got to prepare, and at just the right time. That's what I mean by well-doing, right here, right now. So, the sword that was taken from the giant in chapter 17, now, years later, was in David's hand so he could fulfill his mission. Why was he swordless? Why was he swordless? Because he had to get out of town, didn't he? The king was after him. He was threatening his life. David's son, Jonathan, said, you need to go. And he left weaponless. Two or three of you have pointed out to me, and I, I didn't do the research on this, but I trust that you have. They said that David never lost a physical battle. In fact, I think they said, they told me that he won 66 battles. How many of you think that 66 and 0 is a pretty good record? Huh? I believe it. Um, you know why he went undefeated? I mean, he had some defeats morally, spiritually, some temporary setbacks. But do you know why he went undefeated? Every time? Because he chose to be on God's side. Have you heard that before? How about you? Are you choosing? We want God on our side, but I'm saying, no, let's flip it. Let's get on God's side. Let's align ourselves with God's word and his truth. Let's make sure he's on our side. We're on his side. That's how it happens. So he had the sword. So I pray that you'll open the eyes of your heart and, and see that when you plant here, there will be a harvest later. Good, bad, ugly, whatever it may be. I guess it would be like this. It's like planting a tree today that will give you shade and shelter in years to come. That's not automatic, is it? So I wanna give you from this story just some, some four, four takeaways from David's life about God releasing potential, not just through David's life, but through your life as well. Are you ready for those? So don't just think David. Think he was a real person in real time that God chose and called and used. He, he worked through him. But make the application to yourself, okay? The first one is simply this. I'll just, the bees, be courageous. Was David courageous? I, I don't think he was brash. I think he was humbly courageous, don't you? I love it. I read the passage last week that it says that David ran towards Goliath, not away from him. That seems to make little sense to us because we know that, that Goliath was seasoned warrior and David wasn't a, wasn't a fighter in that sense seemingly, but that's exactly what he did. This young shepherd boy facing that seasoned warrior, it seems like 
impossibility, except he was following God's call. He was on God's side. I've been thinking about that, and I've determined this. When God issues a call in your life, if you don't run toward the battle, you know what will happen? You'll talk yourself out of it, and you'll end up running away. God calls for action. Commit to action and let it go. Declare war. Go for it. Fight the battle on your terms. Take the initiative that God has called you to. And maybe the first battle is here, and maybe Dave fought that, that maybe David fought that, that maybe this is true, that maybe the first fight you never need to pick is an inward fight with yourself, where you let your want to win out over your feel like it, and you face and you run towards that giant. And I'll ask you a few times, what is a giant that you need to face in your life? Is it a who? Is it a What? Run toward that giant. Face that giant. The Holy Spirit will put steel in your spine as you run towards the roar, if you will. Goliath's roar, his challenge, his defying challenge. Do it now. Take the step. I'll ask again, what giant do you need to face and fight? It hasn't gone away. It's still looming on the horizon. Be courageous. If you think of David, don't you think of courage? Courage. 66 and 0. 66 and 0 on God's side. Here's an unlikely one that I want to point out. You know what else we learned from David? Be generous. Have you thought about generosity being fighting terms? It is. Let's look at it. So, I told you the story, and the story was the story of David last week, and David took the sword from Goliath's hand in Nob, and we talked about Nob, and he took it in his hand, but something happened in between, Goliath and Nob. You know what happened? You can, over, you can easily overlook it. Go back and read this. I, I would encourage you to read the story of David, all of it about his life. Something happened in between, and you know what happened in between? He literally and figuratively put the sword in God's hands. He entrusted the sword of Goliath to Almighty God. Some of you have a wrinkled brow. Let's look at that. So I'm telling you that Nob for David represents church because that's where the tabernacle was. That's where the high, high priest was at that time. And what was David? If he was anything, he was a warrior, but he was a worshiper. He was a worshiping warrior, And the worshiper came before the warrior in a physical sense, but he did that probably spiritual warfare as a warrior. He wanted to be where God's presence was. He wanted to be where the dwelling place of God was in those days, and that was in Nob. You can read it. So we know that the tabernacle represented God's presence in the present here. Do you know what God's invite is to you and it was to David and it is to you today? You know what it is? Come here. Come here. I think we're begging God to many times, come here, come here, come here. That's ridiculous. He is here. He's saying to you, come here. Draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. But you come close. I'm present. I'm active. You can meet me here. This is a place of refuge. That's about a heart of worship. 
So the Bible says clearly in the story, and I won't read it all, I read it extensively last week, that David kept Goliath's armor, but not his sword. And at some point, he gave it to God. How else did it end up in the temple, in the tabernacle, I should say? Let's read on. So back in 17, uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 54. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. Interesting, gory, bloody. The very sword that Goliath said he was gonna use to kill David, David used after he had felled him with the stone out of the sling, he used to cut off the giant's head. He put the armor in his tent as I mentioned. Now the tabernacle of God was a tent, the armor went to David's tent, but the sword went to God's tent, God's dwelling place. The spoils of war went to David, But the tip of the spear to the tabernacle, the very one that Goliath predicted he would use to defeat not only David, but the armies of the living God. Instead, the reverse happened, and David used that sword to prevail because he was on God's side, and he came with confidence in the name of the Lord God. I wonder if you're fighting your battles that way. Secure in who he is and secure in the fact that because you're in relationship with him, you say, my identity is this, I'm a child of God and I'm gonna advance because I'm following him. He knew, David did, that his power source, his decisive victory was all because he was on God's side It was his way of saying, paraphrase, it was all you, God, and not me. It's all for your glory and not mine. It's for your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And could I say that even in giving the the, the sword of Goliath, a magnificent piece of weaponry, he was really giving it to God as a type of first and best, a, a type of a tithe. He returned the first and the best to God's temple. Why in the world would that happen Could I just say that we could call it the sword of the Lord? Hmm, that sounds familiar. Wasn't that Gideon's battle cry, the sword of the Lord? Hmm. Matthew 6, 33 says it. David lived it. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Not necessarily everything you want. Is anybody glad? What an answer to prayer that God, I need to stand and say, I'm so glad God didn't give me what I wanted because it's not what I needed. And I couldn't see it then, but I sure can see it now. He will take care of you. This is what was in David's heart. Everything I have comes from you, oh God. It's all you. It's not me, as I said. He knew that he was a pointer and a praiser of Almighty God. I love a, a life verse for me in Acts 17, 28, reads this way. For in him, I think David would testify to this if he were here. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of our own po- your own poets have said, we are his offspring. That's why in relationship with him, we can say, we can stand and say boldly, I am a child of God. God is fighting for me because I'm on God's side. If you're not on God's side, you're facing the battle largely alone. That's your choice, not his. And even then, he's working redemptively. 
I'm going to take the first, which is the best, and lay it down as a sacrifice of worship and praise before you, God. He wanted to honor God in this way that made no sense to me. But he chose in those moments, even as a young man, he chose to put God first. Here's the sword. So here's what I want you to see. Had he not returned that first and best to God, he would have had no sword in his hand on that day in that time of need. Are you with me? Not, give me a nod. Does anybody believe God works that way? I do. He's not just storing up treasures in heaven. He's storing up treasures by investment, putting them first and best. He's storing them because down the road, we're gonna need it, and he knows exactly what that point of need will be ahead of time. That gives me goosebumps just to think about it. He had no idea that he was investing in his own future and the people of God. He had no idea that after Samuel anointed him that he'd be on the run for years and he would have no weapon in his hand. But he was not to remain weaponless because he was on God's side. Are you? When you put the first and the best in God's hands, which is the best, not the biggest, the best, the first is the best, it becomes his excuse to bless you, to provide for you, and to meet all your needs in the future. We hear the phrase nowadays, it's popular to send it ahead, send it ahead, invest ahead. And I just wanna ask you another question. We're talking about being generous. That's another one of David's characteristics. You know, a godly man, a man after God's own heart. Courage, yes. But what does our lack of returning and giving, what does your lack, what does our lack of, of generosity keep God from doing in us and through us? Have you thought about that? I, just a side note, I, I just want you to chew on that. I believe that when we shut up the windows of heaven, when we, when, when we withhold, when we're not generous like David, we're literally shutting those windows that God wants to open over your life, your business, or whatever. God gave the sword back to David when he needed it most because he had invested it ahead. I think this is gonna be rememberable because most of us have never focused on this part of David's story before. Wow, what a promise. And you know what? It occurs to me that God gave that sword back to David when he could handle it. I don't think he could have handled it as a youngster. But he was a seasoned veteran of war by then. So he went from the sling to a sword to Goliath's sword. There was none like it, the Bible says. I love it. When God does something good, it's like those words are true. There is none like it. <laughs> yeah? I mean, are, are you living in that zone? There is, because there is none like you, we often sing. Whatever God does, when we're on his side, there's none like it. I could go on, I could have landed there. Number three is this way, be constant. I'm, I'm just lining these C's up for you to make it easier. David was constant, and I'll just say that means to me that he was unchangingly faithful and dependable. He was willing to own it when he messed up, and he'd go a new direction, but he kept moving in God's direction. I mean, he didn't fall away in rebellion. He fell in repentance. How many of you know that's a good thing? Agreed? 
So I want to ask you, this being constant, are you a dependable person? Please hear me. This is life application. I don't care. In your home, in your, in your business, in, in your relationships, listen, listen, please. I want you to hear this, if you hear nothing else, about being constant. Are you a person who keeps your word and owns it and apologizes when you don't? Are you the same person wherever and whenever you show up? The same person. Or are your workmates or, or your schoolmates, are, are they confused about which you, which version of you will show up? I say that because David knew that he was on God's side. He was representing him. And that's true for us. If we claim the name of Jesus, we're representing him all the time, always on, full time. There's never a break from that. And somebody's eyes are always on you. And the Holy Spirit is in you. And so I, I think of it this way, not in a negative thing, but I think if the Holy Spirit is in me, then he's participating in whatever I do. Because I'm the container. I'm the transport system. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because that helps me do what he wants me to do. Are you with me on that? Be constant. David was the same no matter where he was, no matter who was watching. And he was primarily concerned, I believe, from the scriptures about what God thought. And David was going to do what David did. He had the heart of a shepherd, a poet, a worshiper, a warrior, but he never lost sight of who he was, a humble servant of God. And that brought about faithfulness, even in the failures and the setbacks. Listen, listen. He was all there, David was, in whatever room, whatever place, whatever situation he found himself, he was saying like, here I am and here is holy. Thank you, God, for your blessings, but it's all you and it's not me, and he never forgot it. I wanna flip back to chapter 17 and read a couple verses David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be, just, will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God." You see, David was so offended because he was on God's side. He wasn't taking it personal. He was offended that God's name was being defamed. David was always willing and ready and able to protect and defend his flock. He was unswervingly dependable. He got to play and sing songs before the Lord because he did the same out on the hillside all alone. I should say he did it before the king because he started doing it a long time ago on the hillside when he was all alone, but he did it as an offering to God. He wasn't just a public worshiper. He was a private worshiper. He was preparing all the way. I want to land on that a bit. I believe he was worshiping alone. I can close my eyes and I can imagine it. When he was singing to the sheep, 
He was really singing a song to Almighty God, and it's amazing what opportunities may come our way. And I'm saying the, the, the application is this. Sing where you are. Worship where you are. Bloom where you're planted, where God has you, where you're here. Be all there. Be faithful where you are with your gifts all the time, full time. I believe that on a day like today, we can give 100% of everything to God. That doesn't mean that our 100% might match up the 100% that we gave two weeks ago, two months ago, but I'm all in. I'm just gonna give 100% of me today to God. How many of you know that's what he expects? He doesn't compare with former days or future days. He wants 100% surrender right here, right now. Would you take the initiative on God's side? I'll, I'll do in private what I'll, what I'll do in public. I'll do it for one, capital O, for a few or for many. Listen to this. Here's how I tie it. Samuel anointed David to be the next king of Israel, and then his father told him to go and deliver food to his brothers. This guy who was anointed to be the next king, and you know what he did? He went because he was unswervingly faithful. Wow, are you constant? Not because we're so great, but he's so great and he's in us and lives through us. The fourth and final one is this. We get from David, and it's probably an overlap, but be loyal. How many of you know there's not much loyalty these days in our culture? Would you agree with me on that? Would you agree? Um, but David was, and that was a, an attractive characteristic in his life. He was unquestioning the loyal period, and, and you know, when, when chips were down, when, when things were coming at him, and I'll just mention a few in passing, he was loyal to the king, right? The king. He wouldn't raise his hand against God's anointed, even though that king was trying to do him harm, and even though he knew he was making horrible decisions, He honored the leadership that God placed over him at whatever level, even in the military. He was loyal to his fighting men, and they knew it, and they fought for God and for him. And he was loyal to his friend Jonathan, and he was loyal to his friend's kids. You remember, well, you might check out, if you don't know, the story of Mephibosheth. I have lived this over the years, and I'll just tell you this. You know, I love to hug on your kids and grandkids if you have them in the house, and You know why? If I love you, I'm automatically gonna love your kids and your grandkids. How many of you know that's true? Some of my friends from college, you know, we've separated, but I had a really strong bond with some of those those guys in particular. And when they had kids, you know, and I wouldn't hardly ever see them or didn't know them, I'd just immediately just hug them and hold them. i go, I love you and I'll hug you because that's what, I love your parents. Are you with me? That, that, That was a huge characteristic of David. Don't miss it. And then finally, mostly, most importantly, being on God's side, he was loyal to God and to his house. Even when he was on the run, as I mentioned before, he made a beeline straight for God's home because God's home was his dwelling place. Psalm 27, four says that one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In other words, to ask and to listen, to seek his guidance. That's how David lived. What was his reward? He was able to, and we covered the story. Remember, they were hungry and didn't have bread, and he said, here's the bread, the show bread you can eat. 
because of his faithfulness at God's home. That's where David went in times of trouble. He had food in his stomach and he had a sword in his hand. In other words, that's symbolic. He left with provision and protection and so will you. You hear me? Provision. They ate and were satisfied. And protection, the sword. That's what happens. That's why we flock to God's presence in his house and we worship together because there's just a need. There's something that arises, a need to be together with him. You come into his house and you say, I welcome your word to my life. There's nothing like it. God invites you. He says, come in this house. I think Eugene Peterson, it was, credited, wrote something like this, that that's what happens every time you go to church. You receive bread for the journey and a sword for the struggle. Nutrition for strength, a sword for the battle. Let me go to verse nine of chapter 21. This, this, you're gonna have to chew on this one a while. I mean, this, this message today. The sword of Goliath, the Philistines, whom you killed in the Valley of Elah. This is the high priest speaking. There it is. Wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod, if you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. I mean, they didn't stock weapons there in that tent, but they said, oh yeah, it's over here. It had been there for years, and David said, there is none like it, give it to me. Do you know what that's code for in my mind? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Whatever it is that you want, I'll do it, I'll give it, I'll be it, I'll, I'll give me your word, Lord, I need it. Give me your plan and I'll say yes and I'll never stop. Max Lucado wrote a great book about facing your giants. Maybe some of you have seen it, but I just wanna read a little bit. I think is appropriate as we bring this to conclusion today. Your Goliath, your giant, in other words, doesn't carry a sword or a shield. He brandishes blades of unemployment, abandonment, sexual abuse, or depression. Your giant doesn't parade up and down the hills of Elah. He prances through your office, your bedroom, your classroom. He brings you bills you can't pay and grades you can't make and people you can't please and whiskey you can't resist and pornography you don't refuse and a career you can't escape, a past you can't shake, and a future you can't face. You know well the roar of Goliath. Lift your eyes, you giant slayer. The God who made a miracle out of David stands ready to make one out of you. Any takers out there? It's God's courage. It's, he's the one, the source of loyalty, of generosity, of all the things I mentioned and far, far more. There's power in the name of Jesus, the son of David as he's referred to from Jesse's line. He sent his Holy Spirit to live in you and through you. You can do all things. You can be more than a conqueror no matter what giants you may be facing. And yes, he's still working in you, giving you the desire and the power 
to do what pleases him. That's what David did. Do means action, stepping out. God's working in your life, but you've got to choose to respond. You've got to choose to engage your free will because that's what love does, gives you a choice to activate that desire in your heart and to release God's power that is stirring deeply within you. So what giant do you need to face and fight? Are you a finisher? And so I guess what I'm saying today is from this story, and I've said it before, I'm sure, but it's time for us to do the David, to be courageous, to be generous, to be loyal, to be constant. But it's God's presence and power in you and through you. That's the difference maker. Whatever your situation may be, I was reading in my devotions this morning in a one-year Bible, and some of you have done that. I woke up with some things in my mind, and I want to end with this, and we're going to sing into it as we conclude. Um, but from Psalm 20, and I won't take time to read it, the verse, verses of that, Nikki Gumbel pointed out these things about David, and I, it goes along with this because he said, David cried out in prayer. He made this request to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. And, and in him he found protection and help and strength and acceptance and success. And those, you can find those in the first four verses of Psalm 20, and I wish you would. I was talking to somebody recently and was saying about how in talking to a, a really well, a well-known, a renowned physician who's, who's He's, a, he's, a, he's a, a doctor who is a Christian, a man of prayer. And he said very clearly, he said that, and I thought it so appropriate for this, that he said that when times of stress comes, the best thing I can tell you to do, and let's do it, let's practice it. I'm, I'm paraphrasing the story. But it's to say the name of Jesus, to pray the name of Jesus. How do you know that's one of the best breath prayers you can pray? Jesus. Jesus. You remember your sister in the accident? That's the last word. That's all she had time to say before that semi plowed into her. Jesus. And you know what? I'm feeling his peace as I say it. That takes you out of the clenched fist. I could do it on my own. It takes you into that palms up position. And there's a peace that passes. All understanding will descend upon you and guard your heart in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Wow. So I woke up with that on my mind today coming out of this. And I know you say, well, David didn't say the name of Jesus, but, but he knew God. He had a relationship with him if anybody did. And so I just want to encourage you that when you're, you're facing the battle, it seems overwhelming that you just go palms up and you say, Jesus, Jesus. Don't just say it. Pray it, all that means.